Glad you all are here. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles with me at this point in time. If you don't have your own Bible, that's just fine. There should be plenty of Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you. And uh, why don't you grab one of those, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. And uh, we'll be in several passages today, but I want us to begin in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles, turn basically to the middle of the Bible. You'll find the book of Psalms. If you go one book back, you will find the book of Job. And uh, we'll begin in Job chapter 41. Uh, we have been in a summer sermon series entitled Ask the Pastor. And we have received many, many good questions from uh, the congregation. And we've been working our way through that. And so we are in week 10 of that, I believe. And again, we've got two wonderful questions uh, before us. So Job chapter 41. Let's pray, uh, if you will. And we'll dive right into our message this morning. Father, it is a privilege for us to be here. We're so grateful to be able to lift our our hands and our voices and our hearts to you in song. It is a joyful thing for those of us who know you to do so. Father, thank you that we can give a portion of what you've entrusted to us back to you for the work of your ministry and church, that we can now sit under your word. Uh, Father, may we be humbled as we come before this word, recognizing that uh, when the Bible is read, that your voice is read that you speak to us through the scriptures and that it is your inspired and authoritative and altogether uh, relevant and reliable word. And Lord, we want to search it out for all of the answers that we have, uh, questions that we have, including uh, the questions that are before us today. And so I pray that you would guard my lips, that I would speak that which is truthful and faithful, and that we would receive your word and be changed by it for your glory and for our great joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said together, amen. Well, the humorist Bill Rogers uh, once said, and I quote, if there are no dogs in heaven, then when I die, I want to go where they went. Well, of course, this is kind of a funny way of saying that he really loves his dogs, right? That he really loves his pets. And uh, I think some of us out here who are pet owners and pet lovers uh, understand that sentiment. Uh, Pets have an important part uh, in our life. Oftentimes, animals are part of God's creation. We uh, uh, love them. We find companionship and joy from them. This Easter season, Pastor Silas and I uh, were down at the school. And we were setting up for Easter week, and uh, one of the, uh, the, the teachers uh, approached us as we were setting up. And he said, hey, I'd like to ask you a question. And we said, sure. And so we took a moment, and we said, what, what's going on? And he went on to describe uh, how he had recently lost uh, a longtime uh, dog, a dog that had been, been with him for over, over a decade, and how the pet had been faithful and loving and kind. And we sort of talked about how, how much he loved his animals. And, and so pastor and I knew sort of the question that was coming next, right? You can anticipate it. He, he then said, you know, I really want to know, um, do pets have souls? Do, do animals have souls? And, and will I see my beloved Fluffy? I don't think that pet's name is Fluffy, but will I see my, my dog again, right? Will, do dogs go to heaven? Do animals go to heaven was essentially the question that he asked us. And so it's a very common question as you ponder heaven. And so it's really no surprise that one of you has asked of me the, a very similar question, one of two questions, both of which focus on 
animals this morning from the Bible. So it's going to be a fun Sunday. So here are the two questions that have been posed that we'll be tackling this morning. Question number one, are there going to be animals in heaven? In particular, dinosaurs. Uh, Second part, will they be nice to us? And then third part, which is my favorite, can we ride them? You want to know, don't you? Well, I will tell you. But you're going to have to wait till the end of the sermon, okay? So that's the first question. Question number two, sort of on a related subject. Were there dragons on the earth, as Job mentions? Okay, so it's going to be a great Sunday. We're talking about dinosaurs and dragons. I'm pumped up. I hope you are as well. Let's tackle the questions in reverse order, if you will. So we're going to begin with the question uh, in Job, right? Were there dragons on the earth as Job mentions? Now, I have to share a little personal story here. My personal interest in these uh, beings that we we call dragons, right? We all sort of have images in mind about what dragons are. They're reptile-looking things with big, big teeth and blow fire and smoke out of the nostrils and some have legs and some don't have legs, right? Uh, we, we know what we're talking about here. My personal interest in dragons uh, came early on uh, in my babysitting days. Not I was doing the babysitting, I was being babysitted. And, and my babysitter uh, for, uh, initially let me watch this cartoon. Maybe you, you've, you've heard of it before. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. It was this cartoon that was on in the late 70s and early 80s when I was really small and I was fascinated by these these beasts, these these dragons. Uh, I, I later learned that it was a TV show based on a popular role-playing game. Who knew? I didn't know. Uh, how, however, this is sort of an aside. At some point, my babysitter uh, told my mom and me that, uh, that, uh, that the TV show was from the devil, that it was evil somehow, and so I, I couldn't watch it anymore. And of course, well, that I was saddened by that. Only later, retrospectively, did I find out that uh, she spent most of the afternoon watching soap operas. And I kind of thought in my adult mind, wait a minute here, what's going on? But that's besides the point, right? Um, So so dragons. It's not just me that has an interest in, in these creatures. In fact, if you sort of look at cultures across the world, you will see that many, many cultures throughout many centuries and, and millennia actually have depictions of these sort of animals from Mesopotamia to Egypt to the Greek and Roman empires uh, to, to those of Western Europe, of, of course, to the famous dragon images uh, of, of Asia, in particular China. Many cultures have dragon myths. And so this question, were there dragons on the earth? It's, it's uh, not a simple one. It's, it's a very uh, interesting question. However, the question that is before us is this. Does the Bible mention dragons at all? In particular, the questioner wants to know is, are there dragons in the book of Job? Well, let's begin with question number one. Does the Bible mention uh, dragons at all? Well, yes, no, and if you'll allow me to explain. So, so if you have an older English translation, in particular maybe the uh, King James Version, you might notice as you read throughout some passages in the Old Testament that, that the translator used the word dragon to interpret 
a word in Hebrew. And so you might be inclined to say, oh, the Bible mentions dragon in the Old Testament. Well, well that interpretation certainly does. Uh, newer translations typically don't translate this particular word in Hebrew as dragon. And so if you have a newer translation, you probably won't find the word dragon in the Old Testament, that is. Um, so there's a Hebrew word, and it's called tanid. And uh, that is this word that the interpreters are trying to wrestle with. How shall we translate this particular word? Well, the Hebrew lexicon says it describes a serpent or a dragon or a sea monster. So it, it could possibly be describing a dragon. It, it often refers in the Old Testament to reptiles, large sea creatures or serpentine type land animals. And so um, probably if you an older English translation, you see the word dragon, it probably doesn't refer to a dragon as we think of it. It probably describes some sort of uh, snake or or serpent, some sort of land animal. But if you're familiar with your New Testament, as I know all of you are, uh, the word dragon is used in the New Testament. To be specific, 13 times the word dracon in Greek is used 13 times, and each and every time it is uh, in reference to a particular being. Who is that being? Satan, right? Uh, Particular in the book of Revelation, we see Satan described as a dragon or a dracon uh, in Greek. Um, However, um, we don't is it a dragon or, or is it not? Um, it, it very well could be, but 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 surely uh, the the New Testament word, similar to the Old Testament word, kind of has the idea of a, of a of a serpent, if you will, and that makes sense because remember back in Genesis one when the devil shows up on the scene, he shows up as what? As a snake, right? As a serpent, and so most likely this New Testament translation dragon uh, refers to a serpent type uh, a being, probably not like the dragon that you and I have in our mind. And so then the question becomes, well, what about the book of Job, right? Does, are dragons like we think of it? Well, does it show up in the book of Job? Well, hopefully you're there in Job chapter 41, because if you're going to find a description of an animal like a dragon, like we think of it, it's going to be in Job chapter 41. So let's turn there, uh, just a, a bit of a, a context here. In chapters 40 and 41 of Job, we see two mysterious creatures being described by God to Job, and they are called Bohemoth and Leviathan. Now, we know from ancient Near Eastern culture that both the Bohemoth and the Leviathan, regardless of what they are, we'll talk about that in a moment, describe or represent in their world chaos, forces of, of evil, if you will. They represented danger and evil and wickedness. The very things, ironically enough, that Job had accused God of not being able to tame. Right? Because all of this chaos had come into Job's life. And Job accuses God of not being able to be in control of the evil that has come into his life. And so God parades these two animals in front of him, Behemoth and Leviathan, and he says, yes, I, I can. I can control moral evil. But the question that is before us is uh, particularly related to the Leviathan. So in chapter 41, some people think this being, this beast, is a dragon. So let's just kind of take a look at some select verses, if you will, because when we look at this description, well, it has several dragon-like features, for lack of a better word. So, number one, his skin seems to be described as very strong, 
scaly and impenetrable. So we often think of dragons in mythology as having sort of this impenetrable skin, right? Well, this being sort of is described that way. Take a look at verse 7. God says, Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? And the answer is no. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Verse 16. Each is so closely, uh, is so close to the next that no air can pass between it. And so this being is described as sort of having an impenetrable skin. Secondly, if you'll take a look at verse 14, we see it has very sharp teeth. Who dares open the doors of its mouth? Ringed about with fearsome teeth. Well, of course, many animals have teeth like this. But what really distinguishes this animal, in my opinion, is point number three. Take a look at verse 18. God seems to describe this animal as being fire-breathing. Fire-breathing. Notice verse 18. It's snorting, throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Verse 21, its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. And so here's the question. Is this poetical language? Is this God taking liberty to describe the fierceness of this particular animal? Or is he being more literal to describe this animal? Well, as you can imagine, uh, people who have studied the Bible offer a whole host of animals as what this could be. So, so people think that it's, it's a mythical being. Some people think it's a mythical being sort of like, um, oh, I don't know. I'm going to use an illustration that might get me in trouble with the kids. A mythical being, right? Think, think of that. And God is just saying, you know, this, you know that mythical being in your culture, the, the Leviathan? So it could be just myth. Some people think, well, it's like a dinosaur, right? This describes what we would think of as a, as a dinosaur. Most people say it's a crocodile. This is a crocodile that's being described sort of uh, in poetry uh, and hyperbole. If you press me, that's probably what I think as well. But it's a, it's a challenge. Is, is this hyperbole or is it not? Is it literal or, or, is it, or is it more figurative? Because if it's more literal, well then it very well could describe like a dinosaur. It, it very well could describe something like we think of as a dinosaur. Um, and so the question set before us, were there dragons on the earth, as Job mentions? My answer is a firm maybe. It's a firm maybe. I'm riding the fence on this one. It is possible that dragons, as we think of them, as we see in ancient literature and ancient art and architecture, fire-breathing, serpentine animals, it very well could be. On the other hand, it very well could be just a poetical language that describes a crocodile. That's probably where I'm going to put my cards. But you know what? We don't know, is a simple answer. So were there dragons on the earth? Maybe. Maybe. Let's look at our second question, because I think we have some more definitive answers on the second question. It's really three questions. It reads this way again. Are there going to be animals in heaven? In particular, are there going to be dinosaurs in heaven? And will they be nice to us, or will they eat us? And can we ride on them? Inquiring minds want to know, right? So, let's take the question three parts at a time, okay? So, question number one. Part one, 
Are there going to be animals in heaven? Dinosaurs included. Let's just begin with animals in general. Are there going to be animals in heaven? Um, personal storage is my own fascination with dragons began as an early age. My own interest and intrigue in animals, of course, we have many fossils of uh, that actually existed, we know of. Uh, dinosaurs began as, as a little boy and probably many little boys who have grown up that are sitting here in the pews and many little boys who are still sitting in the pews as little boys. You know, we, we have interest in these beings. Um, I, I, I vividly recall in kindergarten that our teacher told us that she had sort of a, a host of different prizes and that, uh, that if we could learn our ABCs and repeat them back to her, that the first person to do that would get the first pick in the prize, right? And then so on and so forth. And so, of course, I was very motivated uh, to do that because in the um, prize options was a, uh, a pretty good-sized plastic jar and inside that plastic jar were rubber dinosaurs of all sorts. And of course, I liked dinosaurs, and I, I wanted a dinosaur. Um, they were glow-in-the-dark, which was awesome. Glow-in-the-dark dinosaurs. And so I had to be the first. And of course, not to brag, I was. Um, and so I got to choose, right? And which dinosaur do you think I chose? Pterodactyl? Brontosaurus? No. T-Rex, baby. That's right. I chose the biggest, baddest T-Rex in there because I learned my ABCs. Be proud of me. So the question really before us is, are we going to exist in heaven eternally with T-Rexes? Not plastic ones. Real ones, right? That's the question that is before us. I think that the answer is yes. I'll just put it on the table now and then I'll defend that. I think the answer is yes, but I need to make sort of a quick clarification here. I don't want to be overly picky, but, but when, we, when we think about heaven, heaven, um, let me just make a distinction here, right? So when the Bible describes Christians' experience in heaven, it really describes it, it, it sort of unfolds our heavenly existence in two stages, okay? So, so the Bible talks about what, what I'll just call temporary heaven, uh, intermediate heaven, if you will. So this is likely what we think of normally. Most people, when we think of heaven, this is what we think of, sort of the temporary intermediate heaven. It's the place where the, the souls of the saints go upon their death. It's the place where God exists. It's, 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 it's another realm, another world, a, a spiritual place where angels and other beings live in, in heaven, right? This Intermediate, this temporary heaven. Interestingly enough, we do see some animals described in, in that heaven. So if you think in the book of Revelation, right, uh, we see that when Christ returns to the earth in chapter 19, that he's uh, coming back with the armies of heaven robed in white, and we are riding on what? Remember? Horses. Where do those horses come from? Heaven. I don't know. There are horses in heaven somewhere because we're going to be riding them, right? That's interesting. In Revelation, we see that there is an eagle that comes from heaven and proclaims an eternal gospel. We see uh, creatures described for us in Revelation that are called living creatures. And they are said to have animal characteristics. Are these animals? Uh, they're something. I don't know what they are. But So, so the, the evidence for sort of this intermediate state where our souls will go to be if we know Christ in heaven, are there animals in that place? Probably. But, you know, there's really, the evidence is scant. However, 
There is a second stage to heaven, if you will, that the Bible describes in numerous places as the new heaven and the new earth. It's described for us uh, in, in Revelation chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles open, turn there with me now. It's easy to find, the last book of the Bible. Turn all the way to the end, almost the last book, uh, almost the last chapter, excuse me, uh, chapter 22. If you want to turn there with me, all the way to the end. Actually, 21. We'll look at 21. Uh, 21 and 22 describe for us this place, this eternal state for the Christian, the new heaven and the new earth. It's described for us also uh, prophetically in places like Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, where the Lord declares, Behold, I'm, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And so when we see it described for us in Revelation 22, we know, oh, that's the place that's predicted. That's the place that Isaiah spoke of, the new heaven and the new earth. This is the eternal state. For the Christian, we will be resurrected. If you are a Christian, your resurrected body will come up from the ground uh, and will meet with your soul, uh, and you will live upon the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever in a glorified body. This is the eternal state. And so the question then that is before us is that in that state, when God recreates the heavens and the earth forever and ever, and we will live on this recreated earth, will there be animals in that place? including dinosaurs, right? Um, So let's take a look, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So, okay, so just maybe a simple question here, right? But connect some dots. When God made the first heaven and the first earth that's described here it, 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 at this point it will have been it's passed away did animals exist were animals a part of god's original creation design shake your heads at me absolutely right we see it very clearly described for us in genesis 1 and in genesis 2 so god's original intention in creation is that human beings live with animals right and that we coexist and glorify God as our creator. But now we are told of a a time when that earth is going to be done away with, right? It's going to pass away, but God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, it's reasonable to conclude that if animals were on the first heaven and the first earth, that there's going to be animals on the second heaven and earth. In fact, Randy Alcorn in his his wonderful book, simply entitled Heaven, uh, adds these words. And I quote, Were dinosaurs part of part of God's original creation of a perfect animal world? Certainly. Will the restoration of earth and the redemption of God's creation be complete enough to bring back extinct animals? He says, I see every reason to think so and no persuasive argument against it. And I think he's absolutely right. In addition to that, we have passages in the book of Isaiah. So turn there with me now. Isaiah 65. I know we're going back and forth. Turn to sort of middle of your Bible, if you will. Find the Psalms. Go to your right. Pass Song of Solomon, and you will find the book of Isaiah. Turn to the book at the end of Isaiah. Isaiah 65 and 66 is what we're going to be looking at. 65 and 66. We see described there for us a, a, a picture of what this new heaven and this new earth is going to look like. Isaiah says it at the beginning of chapter 65, right? This is the new heavens and the new earth. I'm going to point your attention to to verse 25 in chapter 65. Verse 25, chapter 65. 
There we see animals described for us on a place very clearly that Isaiah says is the new heaven and the new earth. I'll just read verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like, an, like the ox. And the dust of the serpents, and, and, and dust, excuse me, will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Um, now you're in Isaiah, so look at chapter 11, if you will. I know I'm flipping back and forth here. Isaiah chapter 11. We see a picture that is very, very similar to chapter 65. There in Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, we see these words uh, starting, oh, in about verse 6. 11 verse 6. Isaiah predicts the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Now, these verses we're looking at certainly describe a, a very vivid picture of a world that is at peace, right? It's a world where there's no more hostility, no more animosity. Um, but if you want to take the text sort of on its face value, it seems to describe that there are animals that are going to exist in this place that Isaiah clearly says uh, is the new heaven and the new earth. Now, we don't see dinosaurs in this passage, do we? Right? So there are no dinosaurs here being described. But, but I think the evidence is, is clear. There, there are animals. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I have no reason to believe why dinosaurs won't be a part of that eternal earth. So I think the answer is yes. Question number two, it's a really good question. Will they be nice to us? That's a good question, right? I mean, probably this question came from a child. But listen, this is a great question. Adults think about this stuff because um, all you have to do is watch a few of the many, many Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies to know that most dinosaurs, many dinosaurs in their fallen state, they're just not nice to people, right? Haven't you seen the movie, right? Uh, they eat. They're predators. At least many of them are. I, I have this Ingrained in my, my brain, the, fir- the first movie, the one that I like the best, uh, of course, the T-Rex is loose and there are people running and hiding. There's a guy who works for Jurassic Park and he tries to hide in this little outdoor bathroom, right? This little outhouse, if you will. And the dinosaur, of course, finds him and rips off the restroom and he's there just hiding, sitting on the pot. And uh, the dinosaur exposes him, pun intended there, right? And, and he finds him and he eats him. Right? That, in my mind, is ingrained. So the question is very pertinent. If there are going to be dinosaurs on the, the new earth that we will be living alongside, well, are they going to eat us? Right? Um, will they be nice to us? It's a great question. Sort of to generalize the question. What will our relationship with animals be like in that new earth, especially with those that are hostile to us in this world, right? Because you and I know that animals can be hostile to us in in this world. Um, And so the question is, will they be nice to us? And again, my answer is, is yes. I believe that they will be nice to us, including the dinosaurs. Two reasons why, let me flesh this out. Number one, I think that animals will be nice to us because animals were nice to Adam. 
I think that the animals on the new earth are going to be nice to us because animals once were nice to Adam. And so in God's first earth, his original creation, in Genesis 1 and 2, we get the indication that animals were not hostile to Adam and Eve. In fact, what are we told in chapter 2? That God brings all of the animals to what? He brings the animals to Adam and he says what? Name them, right? Name the animals. And especially included in those animals were animals that post-sin and post-fall were hostile, right? So there before Adam is this lion. And Adam seemingly is unafraid, right? And so I think the evidence indicates that, that yes, in the new earth, that animals, they will be nice to us because, well, they once before were nice to us as, as a race. Not until after the fall that we see animals turning against one another and turning against human beings. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, you can follow it on the screen behind me, Paul makes an amazing statement there. He makes an, an amazing statement that teaches us about the, the nature of animals and their future uh, relationship to our resurrection. Notice in verse 19, Paul says, For creation, generally speaking, so the rocks... The mountains, the lakes, dinosaurs, right? Lions. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What is he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection of Christians. He's saying that all creation is is sort of waiting anxiously for the resurrection and the glorification of me and you. Why? Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now, who is the one who subjected creation to the effects of the fall? Who was it? It was Adam and Eve, right? It was us. And so what this passage is teaching us is that when human beings fell, that all the creation was affected. That the rocks and the hills and the seas and the skies and the birds and the ducks and the dinosaurs, they were all affected by sin and by the fall. And they eagerly await for the day that God makes it right for us because he's going to make it right for them. That, verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, never to die again, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Friends, just like God will make you and I, if you have trusted in Christ, He will raise our bodies and we're going to be perfected. We are going to be glorified the way that we were meant to be forever and ever. God will make us right and He will make the animals right as well. So, will that dinosaur be nice to me and you? Yeah, I think so. Because they were once nice before. And they will be made nice again. But there's a second reason. And it's because animals, we are told, will be nice on the new earth. Just look at the passage we just read. Isaiah 65, 25. Maybe you didn't notice it. Maybe it didn't stand out to you. But it's said of the wolf and the lion and the serpent, noteworthy, all of which are hostile animals, right? Quote, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So I think very clearly in these passages, God says that animals... And that new earth will not be hostile to us. My family and I, about a month ago, went uh, up to Lincoln Park uh, Zoo up in Chicago. And we were looking at the uh, lion exhibit. And so uh, we sort of saw people gathered um, kind of around this glass wall. 
So we went to investigate, and we learned that it was the lion's den, right? And so we're like, great, lions. So we go and see the lions, and, and there's this glass wall, and then, of course, there's this sort of open area where you can view into the lion's den. But right there, you can see the lion's really up close, right? You know what I'm talking about if you've been to the zoo. And the only thing that separates you from that lion is that glass, right? And so we were there, and there is this lion. And it was right up close to the glass, and it was looking at us. And then it started to prowl. And it did this. And its eyes never left us. It did this, back and forth. And I'm like, kids, let's go. <laughs> um, it's a bit unnerving, right? Like, because, you know, that glass is the only thing keeping you from a hungry lion. Like, it sees you, it's like, hey, if this glass wasn't here, you'd be my dinner, you know? That's a little unnerving, right? Friends, that will not be the case in eternity. It will not be the case in all eternity. Revelation 21, I think, seals the deal, in my opinion. You can turn there again if you want, or follow on the screen behind me. But, but there in Revelation 21... We are given additional details about this new heaven and this new earth. And if you want to look at verse 4, notice what God promises about that eternal place. He says, There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now, the old order of things included animals killing human beings and animals hurting human beings through violence. But friends, if in that place there are animals, and if in that place there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain, then is that dinosaur going to be nice to you? I think so. I think clearly so. So will there be animals in the, in the new creation? Yeah, I, I think there will be. Will they be nice to us? Yeah, I think they will be. And so now we get to the question that you all have been waiting for. Can we ride the dinosaurs? My answer is that I sure hope so, okay? I sure hope so. How fun would it be to slap a saddle on a velociraptor and go for a ride? That'd be great, right? Who doesn't want to do that? Okay, on this question, I really think the Bible is silent. I don't see, I can't think of any scripture that would necessarily address that. But sort of logical deduction from what we've already seen uh, informs my opinion is that it's at least feasible that dinosaurs being non-hostile could be trained and ridden on. I'm not alone. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Heaven, says this, and I quote, Imagine Jurassic Park with all of the awesome majesty of those huge creatures, but none of their violence and hostility. And then he says these words, Imagine riding a brontosaurus or flying on the back of a pterodactyl. Unless God made a mistake when he created them, and clearly he didn't, why, would, why, why would he, wouldn't he include uh, them when he makes everything new? So if Randy Alcorn thinks that you can ride a T-Rex, hey, maybe you can ride a T-Rex. I don't know. So maybe one little boy's dream, and maybe some older boy's dreams as well, of riding a T-Rex in eternity one day will come to fruition. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. So here's how we're going to close. I want to end the sermon the way that Silas and I ended the conversation that I had with this particular coach uh, that Easter week. Because he was asking us valid questions. Do animals, will animals be in heaven, right? Will my dog be in heaven? Really good question.
questions, and we answered them to the best of our capabilities. But we ended the conversation with him the way that I'm going to end the conversation with you. And it went something like this. While we have evidence to, to support animals in heaven, what we know for sure is that regardless of whether your dog will be in heaven or not, we can know if you will be in heaven or not. And at that, he sort of took an aside and kind of sheepishly, you know, at that point he was uncomfortable. But we hammered the point home because we said, way more importantly than your dog being in heaven is you being in heaven. And we know for sure from the scripture that people who place their faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone have their eternity secure. John 3.16-18 through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So that's how we're going to close this sermon. Friends, I don't know for 100% certain if dinosaurs are going to be in heaven or if your dog or cat's going to be in heaven. I don't know. But I know that you can be in heaven if you trust in Jesus and if you trust in Jesus alone. And if you have not done that, then that is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And it will quite literally determine the rest of your eternity. So we're going to pray. And if you've never done that, you can pray with me now. And you can pray to trust in Christ. And then I'm going to ask, uh, when we're, we're done, for you to stand and we'll read a scripture as a doxology together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these wonderful questions that we can mine the depths of your word and find some semblances of answers, some more certain than others. And yet we know that that which is most important, which is not the eternal state of animals, but the eternal state of human beings, people made in your image for your glory, for a relationship with you. And yet we know that we have all sinned. We have rebelled against you as our creator God, and we have worshipped other things in ourselves. And because of that, we are due an eternity apart from you. But in your great mercy for us, you sent your one and only Son, to live a perfect life that we absolutely needed to go to heaven, to live the death that we deserved on the cross, and that he rose again to defeat sin and and death and, and Satan, and he goes before us into heaven and offers us a place in heaven with him if we would simply receive the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with you and being born again through faith in Christ. And friends, if you've never done that, then you can do that even even now as we speak. For those of us who have, we pray that you would strengthen us and give us a great hope for the eternity that you have set before us, including animals, I believe. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Let's stand and we're going to do a doxology together. So I'm going to ask you to read some scripture with me as we close. From Revelation chapter 4. The four living creatures, whatever they are, say this in Revelation. And we will join them one day in eternity, but we'll join them now. Let's read this together. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. See you next week, guys. Thanks. This world has nothing for me This life is not my own